Welcome to Biohacking with Brittany. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. This is a place where I talk about health and wellness and biohacking. And I am a registered holistic nutritionist who focuses on women's health, but also focuses on biohacking as well and kind of combines the two in a unique way with content online, with working with clients, and with my new course that's coming out actually very soon. So thank you for joining me. This is one of my favorite things that I do in my business, to be honest. And I know I've had a bit of a slow ramp up this year for 2024. I typically produce two episodes a week, and I promise you that we will be getting back to regular scheduling. Things have just been a little chaotic in my personal life. And so I have been dialing it back a little bit because I've had to, but I will ramp up back to two episodes a week. For anyone out there who wants to start a podcast, maybe (laughs) send me a message on Instagram and I will be brutally honest with you about how much work it is. I think it's the average podcast produces seven episodes before quitting. Seven I think I'm on 230 by now, maybe, because I think there's this idea of, oh, this is going to be so easy. I just get to record myself or I get to interview people or I can do quick episodes that are like 15 minutes and it'll be so easy. And then I'm just going to like put it on the platforms and it's going to help my business. And then people realize how much production goes into it and how much preparation and the hours behind one single episode that goes out and then they quit. Like majority of podcasts don't make it. And arguably it's probably like that with every single content platform. But I would also say that there is a very high turnover for podcasts in my experience. And I also think that the biggest podcasts on the platform, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, are the ones that are, especially in the health space, Arguably, they have over 500 episodes or they were previously famous prior to producing the podcast episode. So, you know, if a celebrity comes out with a podcast, like say like Goop, like with Gwyneth Paltrow or anything like that, or like a reality, a reality star comes out with a podcast, right? So it's just interesting when you are neither a celebrity or have over 500 episodes and you're trying to continue to produce your podcast, it is a lot of work. And that's why all of the reviews that you leave actually matter. They really help the show chart in different countries, and they really help the show be found by new people. And so the feedback really actually does make a big difference, especially especially for small shows. So I just want to encourage you to support your favorite creators and support your favorite podcasters on any type of platform because it helps small businesses so much, so, so much, especially when it's positive reviews. I read all of the reviews. There's not a single one I've never seen. And so the good and the bad, I read them. And that's kind of my take on that. But enough about podcasting. I mean, that's not what you're here for. So today we are talking about biohacking, of course, but I want to talk about the common questions that I get. Now, I've done a lot of Q&As on my podcast so far, you know, different times of the year I do them. Sometimes I pull people on Instagram or maybe my newsletter and say, hey, what do you want me to talk about? What do you want me to answer? And then for this episode today, I was thinking, what are the questions that I get all the time? Like, what are the answers that I'm constantly copying and pasting or repeating myself or explaining to people. So I kind of came up with this list. Some of this is new, some of this is not, and it does definitely change. So this is very reflective, I would argue, of the last six months. And probably in the next few months, we'll probably stay the same. And this is just kind of what I'm answering in my DMs on social media, to be honest. This is what strangers ask me about, followers, comments, all sorts of things. And likely because it's reflective of my own content or they found a podcast episode that was released or they found this TikTok video and they want to know more about this one concept and blah, blah, blah. And so that's kind of what today is, is like I'm, a, I'm answering your common biohacking questions that I get 
this is a wide range of topics and is suited for everybody to listen to. And I think you are going to get a lot out of it. Okay. First up, when should women fast? This is such a hot topic. I think that probably about five years ago, I think the idea of intermittent fasting was becoming very popular. That is when I first started intermittent fasting and I did the very basic traditional 16-8 model where I would eat for eight hours of the day and then the other 16 hours I would not eat. And I would do this basically every single day and I would have water and coffee during the time that I was fasting and then I would eat regularly during the time that I wasn't. And this was before we kind of understood that maybe this principle of intermittent fasting actually doesn't really do great things for women and maybe is a little too harsh on women's bodies and hormones and cycles and sleep. And that is exactly what I found. So I was doing it all the time. I definitely saw benefits of it. I am not going to lie. I'm not going to say there were no benefits. For example, it was very easy for me to stay the same size and stay more in shape, I guess, or I don't know how you want to word it, more toned, I don't know, like lower fat percentage maybe. And it was very easy to control that with a controlled eating window for sure. Then when I was doing it all of the time, I had some significant changes in my sleep where I was waking up multiple times throughout the night and I couldn't sleep. And I was waking up to pee and I just like had, I don't know, I had food cravings or my blood sugar was dropping in the middle of the night. So I'd wake up. I don't, I don't know. And I also didn't have my aura ring at the time. <laughs> so I actually didn't track my sleep. And so I, I wasn't aware of, I guess, the implications of it. And so I took a step back and now this is quite a common narrative of, the way that women are, the way that our hormones are, our cycles are, intermittent fasting is likely not the best day in and day out for us, especially women who are pre-menopause. So it's a little different if you're post-menopause, which I'm going to talk about. But to start with, like pre-menopausal women in those fertile years, this is not something you really want to be doing every single day. We can look at you know, some of the research that kind of backs this up. So a study published in the journal Cell Metabolism in 2016 found that women might benefit from shorter fasting periods. Longer fasts could lead to hormonal disruptions affecting menstrual cycles and reproductive health. That's not surprising. So even just looking at in general, looking at that in general, it's like, okay, shorter fasting periods. What does that mean? Right? And then there was another study done that was done in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism in 2015. And this highlights that women's responses to fasting can be influenced by factors such as age, BMI, and metabolic rate. Women with irregular menstrual cycles or hormonal balances imbalances should approach fasting cautiously and consultation with healthcare, healthcare professionals is advisable. So what this is basically saying is that women's bodies are a lot more sensitive to repetitive fasts and longer fasts than men. Women's hormones work on a 28-day cycle, typically, not everybody, but typically, versus men's hormones typically work on a 24-hour cycle. And so we can't expect to have this restrictive eating window day in and day out and expect our bodies to react the same when on a hormonal level, we're actually different every single day. So then the question becomes, okay, fasting isn't great for women in their fertile years, but when can I do it? How, how can I do it? How can I bring this in as a biohack and benefit from it without this disruption? So the answer to that is a lot of women now fast in their luteal phase. So we have the menstrual phase, we have the follicular phase, we have the ovulatory phase, and then we have the luteal phase. Luteal happens after you ovulate, but before your period. This is a time when I personally would fast. And I think that this is the more appropriate time for a lot of people or a lot of women to fast because you have already ovulated. 
especially for women who have irregular menstrual cycles due to irregular ovulation. I would be very cautious and I would be very cautious about fasting prior to ovulating for that reason. So that's why for me personally, I fast more post-ovulation than I do pre-ovulation. However, there is some research and some people out there who say the opposite. And they say that you should fast during the follicular phase, which is after your period and before you ovulate, because you have a higher ability to handle the stress that it causes on your body. So there is people who say both. And my personal belief is that it should be based off of your menstrual cycle and your hormones. Again, if you're someone who is like me, who might have PCOS and irregular menstrual cycles, I would suggest fasting after you ovulate. If you're somebody who has very regular menstrual cycles and it's not an issue with ovulation for you, then I think before ovulation, because your body can handle it better, is likely what you can try. Now, even if you pick one of these phases, I think you should trial and error it, as in write down how you feel, write down how your body reacts to it, how do you mentally, physically react to it, You can track your weight, you can track your energy levels, your sleep, everything like that. Like do that type of thing so that you understand how these decisions are actually impacting you and then make more decisions post that. That is the point of personalized healthcare and personalized medicine in general. And that is where we're moving more towards in society in general, in my opinion. So rather than saying, hey, all women, you should fast during this part of the menstrual cycle, it's like, no. You could do A or you could do B, but let's actually see how you react to it. And then let's make adjustments based off of you personally. And that is like the ultimate suggestion here. Now, if you are postmenopausal, you actually can get away with fasting basically every single day. This hormonal cascade that you might have for 28 to 30 days when you are in your fertile years, you don't have after menopause, which means that a lot of the biohacks that might cause more stress on the body, you can actually handle because you don't have to worry about this hormonal disruption. So if it were me, personally, if I was postmenopausal, I would likely be intermittent fasting every single day now, for sure. Because I think the cellular health benefits that come from fasting, the longevity benefits that come from fasting are worth it, easily worth it like the autophagy, the cleanup that happens, the like how good it is for your gut and like your metabolism and just it goes on and on and on. And so I would really, that would be me for sure is like taking away food and like just being cautious of it. I think the other thing here that we should talk about and just mention briefly is that you don't have to do intermittent fasting every single day. You can do shorter fasts. You can do longer fasts. You could do a three-day fast once every two months, or you could do every other day you intermittent fast, or you do a five-day fast once every quarter. There are so many different ways to do it now that I would really encourage you to look outside of the cookie cutter 16-8 method that has been so popular and figure out what works best for you. January is here. Can you believe it? How are you doing with your new year's goals and resolutions? Mine are pretty easy to focus on my well-being. And we all know that the foundation of well-being is a good night's sleep. So if I could do just one thing to improve my sleep and overall well-being, it is taking the number one mineral for that, which also helps me personally on so many levels, I can't even fully describe it. Yes, I'm talking about magnesium. Actually, I'm talking about that magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers. This product has seven different types of magnesium in it, which is involved in over 300 enzymatic reactions in the body. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded when you take magnesium from the quality of your sleep to your brain function, to your mood, metabolism, stress levels, everything. And let's face it, even if your 2024 resolution is not to focus on your health, as it is mine, How are you really going to be able to achieve your goals if you're not sleeping well and if you're stressed out? You honestly need magnesium. 
So get the Bioptimizers Full Spectrum Magnesium. It is my favorite. I take one every single day. And you can go to my website with it, which is bioptimizers.com slash biohackingbrittany and use my discount code biohackingbrittany to get the biggest discount possible, which I'm super excited for you. So that's bioptimizers.com slash biohackingbrittany and my code is biohackingbrittany as well. And that will get you a big discount off of magnesium and all of their other products as well. So enjoy that. And I hope your New Year's resolutions and goals are going well. Okay. Moving on to question number two, bioidentical hormones. What is the deal? Whew, man, when I released my bioidentical hormone episode last year, I got so many questions about it. And it's interesting how many of you are, I guess, just interested in this topic, but also just feel like, why wasn't I aware? Like, why wasn't I aware that I could take something like bioidentical progesterone cream and it could help with X, Y, and Z? And I think it's a little frustrating that that is how you're feeling. And that's what you're going through because I wish it was more commonplace and, and more well-known that there are alternatives for you. And this is actually very interesting timing. So my mom, who is postmenopausal, has been going through a lot personally. And I saw her over the Christmas break and I said, mom, I think you should go on some bioidentical hormones. Okay. Here's why. I noticed this pattern in you. You are very stressed. You are not sleeping well. You seem to be struggling with your mental health and being balanced and mood balancing. And I think your hormones are kind of all over the place. Now, you're no longer have a cycle, so you're no longer ovulating. She had a hysterectomy, but her ovaries are still intact. And so the production of estrogen to progesterone happening for her right now is very low. And I think that bioidentical hormones for her could really change that. So she's an occupational therapist. She works in hospitals. And she was, you know, we, we've had many discussions about it. And so her original thought was, Oh, I've heard of HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy. And, you know, it can increase chances of cancer in women. And I was like, no, okay, first of all, we're not talking synthetic hormones here. I'm talking bioidentical hormones. So we had to go through this whole discussion of the differences between those two. And then I said, okay, let's start you on progesterone and not estrogen, progesterone. And let's see how that makes you feel. And also, let's get your hormones tested. So that's kind of what we're working on right now. I actually want to send her a Dutch panel. I've actually just started working with Dutch. If you know what Dutch is, basically it's an at-home hormone test. There's for men, for women, for thyroid, for adrenals, for, for every type of thing like that. And it is a urine test. I think they're all urine. And essentially it's a, it's one of the best functional medicine tests that you can get that takes a look at your hormones. So I'm going to send that out to her, get her tested so that we know what we're working with, put her on some bioidentical hormones and some other, you know, biohacks and things like that, and then see what happens. I think there's a lot to be said about this. I think she was very shocked. The same kind of narrative that I'm getting in my DMs of why didn't I know about this? Why didn't I know? Why didn't my doctor say, hey, you can take this cream and like, it's actually going to help you fall asleep. And it's going to make you happier within 30 minutes because it produces happy hormones in your body. And it's actually natural. So like the side effects are lower. And j just this narrative, she's like, I had no idea. And I was like, yeah, I know. Not a lot of people talk about it. It's not super mainstream yet. So I've put her on progesterone cream. The company that I use is called Platt Wellness. That's P-L-A-T-T. -T. I will link them in my show notes for you. They're on my website, on my shop. I have a discount code with them. You can go and use it. And they have estrogen and bioidentical estrogen cream and progesterone cream as well. They ship to Canada. They ship all over the US. And it's awesome because you, as the consumer, client, patient, can actually just order it yourself. You don't have to go to your doctor and say, hey, I want to do this thing. Can I have permission? You can just go ahead and do it. I will say... I encourage you to do your research and make sure that you are somebody who could benefit from it. 
And I also encourage you to get your hormones tested if you can to make sure that you are in a place where you can take something like bioidentical hormones in order to benefit from them. So a couple of research studies talking about it, a comprehensive review published in the American Journal of Medicine in 2005 compared bioidentical hormones with synthetic hormones in hormone replacement therapy. The review suggested that bioidentical hormones might offer advantages, including potentially lower risks of breast cancer and cardiovascular issues. The other one, which is an analysis in Climacteric, the Journal of the International Menopause Society in 2017, emphasized the importance of personalized medicine and HRT, tailoring hormone therapy to an individual's hormone needs and levels and symptoms may improve outcomes. So that one is a little more just generalized and saying, hey, personalized medicine needs to become more of a thing. But it also just really shows that HRT and some bioidentical hormones can be really helpful for you. Thus, so this is what I would suggest, I think, for all the women listening who are premenopausal like myself. I have personally taken progesterone cream. And when you are in these years, you want to be taking it during the second half of your cycle. So progesterone spikes after you ovulate. And we really want to support that spike. We don't want to be adding it in during the first half because it might disrupt estrogen and that delicate balance. So when I was taking it, I was doing it after ovulation before my period. I would take the cream. I'd put it on the back of my neck at night or the inside of my elbows because the skin is very thin there and it gets absorbed quickly. And I would honestly feel better within... Oh, 15 minutes, half an hour, especially when I was stressed, especially when I was burnt out last year. And yeah, I I just remember feeling relief. And with my husband, I actually will give it to him sometimes because men have obviously progesterone as well. And when I notice that he is wired and there's too much cortisol going on, especially at night, I will rub some on the back of his neck and he feels better within half an hour as well. So I really encourage you to look into this if you want to do bioidentical hormones. On the Platt website, there is a digital guide for free that you can get that is all about these hormones. My mom downloaded it. She said it was fantastic and she learned so much from it. I would really suggest you read that and then order from them if you want, obviously, but just start there. I'd also suggest you listen to my podcast episode with them. We talk about a lot and I actually should re-listen to it because we talk about giving it to babies to help with colic for the progesterone cream. We talk about all sorts of things. Maybe I'll have them back on my show. It was a very, very interesting episode. So I would, I would dive into that. And if you're feeling like I'm doing everything, you know, my nutrition is on point. I'm moving my body every single day. I'm getting outside every single day. I've biohacked my sleep to the nth degree. My food is all organic. I've, you know, removed toxins from my life. I sauna every week. You know, all these things. I have good relationships. I have good community, but maybe you're still having some sort of symptom or issue. Could be anything. Could be moodiness. Could be skin. Could be, man, hormones play a role in so much. Like could be weight like stubborn weight loss or stubborn weight gain that you can't get rid of, that type of thing. This could be the potentially the next thing that you look at that could really help move the needle for you. And yeah, consult your doctor, you know, go for it. I don't know what they'll say. (laughs) Depends on the type of doctor. I'm a little, uh, you know, suspect of doctors these days. So that's my personal opinion. And yeah, so I have two of two of the plat wellness tubes in my house. And I like it because I I can just use it when I need it. I can give it to my husband when he needs it. I'm not on it currently because I don't feel like I should be or need it. But it's like it's almost like kind of part of like your home first aid kit, like your medicine cabinet. It's like, oh, you have this thing if you do need it. And yeah, that's that. Okay, next, raw milk. How do I get raw milk? What are the benefits? Oh man, the amount of DMs I get about raw milk, so random, so random. So the reason I say it's so random is because 
I produced content. I I made these videos like it must have been must have been two years ago, year and a half ago, maybe when I was drinking raw milk and I posted them on Instagram and TikTok. And they are, for whatever reason, they are trending on TikTok. They are, people are finding them and messaging me on Instagram about how to find raw milk. And that is the interesting thing about TikTok versus Instagram. I was explaining this to a brand the other day is that TikTok is a search platform, whereas Instagram is not. And that is how TikTok and YouTube are similar. And Instagram is not in the same realm as YouTube. People will search on TikTok, raw milk Canada, or hormone replacement therapy, menopause, whatever it is. You don't really do that on Instagram. On Instagram, you kind of search brands, you search people, public figures, that type of thing, places maybe. But you don't search a question or a topic as much. And so what's interesting about that is that it helps content live longer. So I produced these videos 18 months ago, let's say, I don't even know, could be two years ago, something like that. And they're they're just about me drinking raw milk and they are popular now. Whereas Instagram, you never, ever see that ever, ever. You like, there's no way a, a video you posted 18 months ago is suddenly going to get a bunch of views and comments on Instagram today, that it's not how it works. So that's kind of why I've actually shifted my business more to TikTok in general is like the platform is just more robust and content lives longer. It's easier to post. It's more authentic, bunch of reasons. Anyway, so that's why this surgence of this question has come up in the last six months is people are finding those videos. I currently do not drink raw milk. <laughs> I... I went through a phase of drinking it and I don't right now. Doesn't mean I don't agree with it, but I I don't. So in Canada, raw milk is illegal, which is a joke. But anyway, it is illegal. It is illegal to sell it. It is illegal to buy it. And there are ways around it. And so my DMs are always like, how do I get raw milk in Toronto? How do I get raw milk in BC, Nova Scotia, all these different places? So here is what I have to say. The way that I did it, I don't even know how I figured it out. I don't know. I just researched online, maybe. I found a Facebook group that was that's still up there, and I'm still a part of it. It's called BC Raw Milk. In this Facebook group, you post, as a consumer, you post where you are, and you say, hey, I'm looking for raw milk in this region. Someone will reach out to you, and they will say, yeah, I know a farmer. This is where you get your raw milk. This is how much it costs. This is where the meetup is. This is when that type of thing. You cannot go to the farms. You do not meet the farmer directly. You meet a third party, like a third party. You, I had to pay in cash. Like it's a very black market. It's ridiculous. I had to pay in cash. (laughs) My story was just so funny. It's like, it's just so funny because I, I was like, okay, I'm going to order this raw milk. So I was getting raw milk for a while and you get it in jugs. You have to bring the cash. So I go to this town that's like an hour away from my place and I'm pulling up to this house in suburbia, okay? And this guy comes out of the house with this raw milk and I didn't know what I was expecting because you don't really know who you're talking to online, what they look like in person. Anyway, he just like gave me his address and he's like, this is the time and the place. So I show up by myself, which I don't know if was the best idea, but anyway, show up by myself. This guy walks out of the house with two jugs of raw milk and he's jacked. He's also like probably 50, 60 years old and he's Russian. So there's this massive jacked old, older Russian dude walking out of this house in suburbia towards me with two massive jugs of raw milk in his hands. And I'm like, hi, (laughs) like... I'm here to buy the raw milk. And obviously he has his Russian accent, which I cannot do. And he he was really nice and it was fine. And I just, I guess I didn't assume that I'd be buying from like a bodybuilder, but that's completely what he was. And so he was such a nice guy and he hooked me up with like eggs and some other things too. But that's kind of my situation when I was getting it was through this party. So for everyone who's listening who raw milk is illegal where you are, it's illegal across all of Canada. 
it is potentially, I know there's some states as well, as well that it's illegal in. You can do it through Facebook, but you just have to be kind of careful. So you have to get vetted before you get accepted into these Facebook groups. Then you have to meet a third person, like a third party. You never meet the farmer. There's kind of like just red tape everywhere. So just be careful. Other places that you can get it is pet stores. They will sell raw goat milk, raw buffalo milk, and that might be it. I've seen both of those in BC for sure. So you can do something like that. And that is, yeah, that's my suggestion on how to get it. So benefits wise, it has a lot of nutrients. It's not heated. It's not pasteurized. It's not a processed food. It has a ton of beneficial bacteria. It has every enzyme you need to be able to digest it, right? So it is a whole food. I actually have a guide. I have a freebie somewhere on my website about raw milk, which you can grab if you want, or send me a message and I'll send it to you and it explains the benefits. But that is very much what the raw milk situation is all about. I would, I would suggest it if you're interested in it for sure. You want to do grass fed, grass finished, organic if you can, as clean as you, as you can and watch your symptoms. So watch your digestion, watch your immune system, watch your skin. If you have any reactions, things like that, be cautious with it. It's a raw food. And yeah, that's basically, that's basically it. One of the most important biohacks for me is grounding, taking off my shoes and connecting with the earth. There's lots of benefits to grounding, but a big one is how re-energizing it is. However, it's not always practical because we honestly just can't be barefoot all the time. That's the exact problem that Baja has solved with their game-changing grounding shoes. Life's hectic and going barefoot isn't always in the cards. By combining high-performance running shoes with grounding technology, they allow you to be grounded when you're on the move when going barefoot isn't possible. They are all about exercise cue. It's not just about working out. It's about blending exercise, the great outdoors, and grounding. Your holistic well-being all in one pair of stylish kicks. They're not just another shoe brand. They're the first to fuse grounding tech with high-performance shoes. And you can feel the difference as you kiss goodbye to fatigue and stress. I know I definitely do. They currently have two different models, a traditional cushion style, which I love, and a more minimal barefoot style with a thin sole and wider foot designed for the ultimate natural feel. You can keep it real with their simple, cool, and versatile designs if you're hitting the gym, grabbing coffee, doing errands, or going out for your daily walk. If you want to get these, you want to get the same shoes that I have, I really recommend you do. And if you're ready to be more grounded and healthier, you can head over to bahe.co and use my discount code biohackingbrittany to save 10%. I really recommend these and I think they are the ultimate companion for every biohacker out there. Next question, number four. Prepping, how do I prep my body for conception biohacking wise? Oh, this question. Um, this is interesting. I talk about this a lot because I am producing a preconception biohacking course straight up. It comes out to everybody on the wait list in February. And honestly, I'm right now I'm kind of deciding what the discount's gonna be. It's probably gonna be a lot. Like I think I might do like $7,500 off. And the course is probably gonna be like $300. Yeah, so it's really worth it to go on the wait list if you're listening. I don't think I've actually you know announced any prices anywhere except for right now. So I would do that personally. Anyway, preconception, there's a lot that you can do. And that's why I created the course. I've talked a lot about this because I have experience. I went through this and it was a journey. <laughs> that's for sure. I remember in the beginning when I was like, okay, I want to have a baby sometime in the next two years. What can I do right now to be healthy? or prepare my body? How can my husband prepare, right? How do I improve egg quality? How do we improve sperm quality, mortality, the sperm count, mobility of the sperm, all of that? And I was like, okay, like, where is the information on this? And then you Google it or you research it. And it's basically like, hey, take a prenatal and eat some fruits and vegetables. Well, yeah, no shit. 
Like, I'm already doing that. I'm a biohacker. What What do you mean? <laughs> like, what do you mean that's it? Come on. And I just remember being shocked at the lack of pro proactive approach to fertility in general. And with the amount of people struggling to conceive, I think it's like one in every five couples struggle to conceive these days. I am shocked that there's not more people talking about this. So there's people talking about like fertility and how to optimize for IVF and those types of things. But it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's take a step back here and let's actually talk about how healthy you are in general before you start trying to conceive or while you're trying to conceive. So for example, I will not name this couple, but I know a couple, they do not listen to this podcast. There's no way. So it's fine anyway. I know a couple through through a friend of a friend and I spent the weekend with them, I don't even know, like eight months ago, something like that. And they were currently trying to conceive. They had been trying for, oh, I think it's was it three years, something like that, three years maybe. They, and they were, I want to say mid-30s, both of them. And they were not successful. And I remember talking to them about it and listening to what they had to say and how so many things that they were doing were what their doctor said, but actually didn't really make sense in order to become healthier. So for example, there was a hot tub at the hotel we were staying at. So the husband wasn't going in the hot tub, which is fair. That's part of my program. You want to reduce the amount of heat that sperm are are susceptible or exposed to for sure. But when I looked at their diets on what they were eating that weekend and how much alcohol they both consumed, how much wine and like things like that and like talking to them about supplements and stuff, there was like such a lack of any of that, such a lack of understanding that nutrition is so important for building a healthy body and for building a healthy womb, eggs and sperm. They were not on any type of supplements that would help any of those factors. There was no lifestyle modifications, including things like detoxing, you know, obviously you want to detox before you get pregnant, not while you're pregnant. And so there was no talk of, you know, enough water every single day, like hydration or a sauna therapy or a cold therapy, a hot cold therapy practice or exercise every single day or getting outside. Like these basic, basic lifestyle things that maybe I think are basic, but they thought, holy, that's a lot of work. We're not doing that. So I think it was just so interesting that they were like so wrapped up in and so upset that they hadn't been successful for three years, yet their lifestyle and their choices didn't really reflect the the decisions that they should be making in order to be healthier, in order to get pregnant. And obviously they didn't say anything. I'm not I'm not about to give unsolicited advice, but I just thought it was really interesting. And then fast forward they started doing IVF and they did get pregnant in the last six months with IVF. Now, IVF is a massive investment financially. I think it's like between ten to $15,000. Plus, it is very hard on the woman's body because you are injecting hormones, synthetic hormones into the woman's body to produce, to get more eggs out, essentially. So, you know, that kind of like really fueled my fire of how do we educate people to be healthier so that they are more successful? How do we get them to eat more healthy fats and stop drinking alcohol, stop smoking weed, stop using cannabis? Cannabis is terrible, especially for sperm quality. It is so bad. It's also, ter- it's also terrible for testosterone levels in men. And there's so much research that supports those things. Those are not me making up those things. So I was really shocked when I started my journey and I was also fueled and I'm doing a huge episode on this coming up. Oh, I don't know, in a month. I'm doing a huge episode on this. And honestly, when I had a misdiagnosis of PCOS, when I when I was going through all of my irregular menstrual cycles, last summer I had a cyst, a hemorrhagic cyst on my ovary. All of that fueled this idea of how do I become the healthiest version of myself so that I can get pregnant? And I just wish there were more people talking about what I could do and how to do it. And yeah, 
I just really struggled. I really struggled with who do I turn to? And the only resource that I can give you right now, other than my podcast and my social media channels and my course that's coming out, is that Andrew Huberman did a podcast episode last year on fertility. It is four and a half hours. And every single thing that he says in that podcast episode is part of my preconception cleanse plan that I have and part of my course. And I just want to say that I created my whole, my whole plan or cleanse. I don't know what I'm calling it prior to listening to that. And I had been already talking about it. It's called baby steps. And then I listened to that podcast episode and I was like, damn, this proves all of that. This is all of the research studies. This is everything that I have been talking about to prove that, hey, we should be taking a break from alcohol, cannabis, and we should be, you know, replacing plastic with, with glass and these types of things to reduce our toxins and we should be detoxing all these things. So if you want something right now today that you're like, Hey, I need this resource because I need to know more because I'm doing this right now. Go listen to that podcast episode. Just um, search like Huberman lab fertility and you will find it. It came out in January of 2023, I think. Anyway, so that is my recommendations for you. And if you really care about this, seriously join my waitlist. There's hundreds of you on there right now. You could get up to $100 off. Like that is more than enough reason for you to do it. And I really just want to help enhance your fertility and preconception and yeah, get you on the right track and get you guys pregnant. Okay. Following up with that, the other question I get all the time is number five. Best pregnancy biohacks. Holy, the amount of people who ask me about this is wild. This is because nobody talks about biohacking during pregnancy because it just seems like, what do you mean? You could biohack your pregnancy? That sounds absurd. Like, you know, I guess you could try to be healthier, but what do you mean biohack? So if you haven't listened to my podcast episodes on this, please do so. I will link them in the show notes. There are a couple episodes about this already out there. Again, I will be producing more episodes this spring and summer about it. And I would really do a deep dive into those resources because I kind of go through some things that you might not know about that can really help during pregnancy. There is a lot out there about, you know, nutrition, exercise, supplementation during pregnancy. Obviously that can help. But I would, you know, there's so much I say in those episodes, I, I feel like I can't even really dive into it now, but I would really take a look at that because I just think it's a great resource. The other thing that I would say, I guess I can say a couple things right now about it, is that I would be cautious about the recommendations that you get for pregnancy. If you're somebody who understands biohacking, which you likely are, and you understand optimal health, optimized health, personalized health. When your doctor or your midwife or your doula even says something, I would take it with a grain of salt and make the decision for yourself. For example, you could have somebody who says to you, yeah, I don't think you should be eating sushi. However, there is research out there that proves that the chance of you getting salmonella, listeria, or any other bacterial infection or issue from raw fish is actually significantly lower than eating lettuce that has not been washed. So stuff like that, like there's this common thing of like, yeah, don't eat raw fish because you could get sick from it. But that's not necessarily a hundred percent true. And raw fish actually has a ton of benefits in it. Like it has a ton of healthy fats has a ton of DHA, which is really, really good for your baby. So that's my like overall suggestion is like really, really think about these suggestions that people are just kind of saying to you because we've, you know, maybe people have been saying it for 30 years. And so that's kind of the narrative now. I would question that. I would definitely question that and do the research and make the decision for yourself. There are some things that I do think hold true. Like, I personally don't think you should be drinking any alcohol when you're pregnant at all. I I know there's like a book out there. I forgot what it's called. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a satire take on what to expect when you're expecting. 
And it basically says like, yeah, you can have a bit of alcohol during your pregnancy. I don't think the risks are worth alcohol and I personally would not. But again, you you can make that decision and you can read that book. But I don't know how much that aligns with uh, biohacking philosophies, that book. And yeah, so that that would be my overall suggestion for that. I think that there's a lot you can do, but I would just be, yeah, cautious with it. A couple of other things that come to mind quickly that are likely mentioned in my in my episodes, in previous episodes, is building mental resiliency. Actually, I don't know if I talked about this. I'll talk about it briefly. From what I've witnessed, pregnancy is no easy task <laughs> for anybody. There might be women out there who are having easier pregnancy, who maybe have less symptoms, less pain, less discomfort. Sure, sure. But in general, I would argue that pregnancy is hard. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult, but you can do it. And women have been doing it for millennia. And I think that mental resiliency should be talked about more. And I encourage you to think about how can you build mental resiliency so that when you go through birth and when you have your baby, you have a very strong mental health, a very healthy outlook, and there's more balance. Especially if you're somebody who is looking at doing a natural birth, you know, unmedicated with as little interventions as possible, and maybe you're doing home birth, you know, that type of thing. I would really, really think about this. Actually, even if you're doing, even if you're getting an epidural, even if you're going into the hospital, because man, some of the stories of like the lack of respect to women in the hospitals when they're giving birth and, you know, you go in wanting your birth to happen one way and then it happens a completely other way. And maybe there wasn't consent to everything. And maybe, ah, it makes me so angry when I think about it. Like maybe things just weren't appropriate that happened. Like those types of things. Like I think my mental resiliency comes into play no matter what. So I think there are ways to biohack mental resiliency during nine months of pregnancy so that you are better equipped. Now, for example, a great one for this is cold therapy because cold therapy is so uncomfortable. If you have done any type of cold shower for 30 seconds, ice bath, cold dunk, cold swim, cold plunge, polar bear plunge, whatever you've done, you know how uncomfortable it is, how hard it is. Now, think about that for a moment. Think about what would happen if during your pregnancy, you were to do a cold shower every day for 30 seconds. Okay, maybe that's too much. Maybe let's say every other day for 30 seconds. Maybe you end your hot shower on cold, so your body's hot and the air's warm around you, but that's how you start. And what that does is during those 30 seconds, you actually are now, you're faced with a hard time. And what are you going to think about? What are you, like, what are you actually going to think about? Are you going to think about, oh my gosh, I can't wait. This is, can't wait for this to be over. I'm hyperventilating. My breath is so fast. This is so hard. How can I do this? Take the pain away. Make the water hot right now. Or are you going to control your breath? Be in the moment. Know that this is a phase and it's not going to last. And you will get through this because you've get, you've done it before and you will get through it again. And you've done hard things before. So you can do this. And so that is what I would suggest that you work on. You know, there's so much I can say about like lifestyle, exercise, nutrition, supplementation, but something like that of like, okay, here's my cold therapy practice during pregnancy. It's likely going to change between first, second, and third trimester. But by the time I get to birth, this level of being uncomfortable and pain is something I can actually tap into that I'm now kind of used to. It's more of a, I've been there more often. Do you know what I mean? I've been there more often. So think about stuff like that. Like think about how we can flip the script so that when the tough times come, you're actually experienced. I have a woman who she follows me on Instagram and we've been talking for a long time and she's pregnant right now. And she's doing this. She's prepping for a home birth. And she said, I do exactly that. I've been doing cold therapy dunks because I know that I need to build up my mental resiliency for this birth. I know that I want to be able to have it unmedicated, have it with no interventions, be in control, and have the 
ability to have the mindset to get through it because it's such a mind game, right? And so it's very interesting watching her go through it and, and talking to her about it. So that is what I would suggest. Listen to my other podcast episodes. Think about your mental health and your mental resiliency. Okay, last but not least, we are going to talk about women's longevity. What are the best biohacks for women's longevity? Interesting. Okay, so I'm going to start with a couple of research studies. A comprehensive review in aging research reviews from 2017 highlighted the impact of diet on women's longevity. It discussed the potential benefits of caloric restriction and intermittent fasting in promoting healthy aging. Another research study in psychological science from 2010 linked strong social connections to increased lifespan. Building and maintaining social relationships contribute to emotional well-being, reducing stress, and potentially extending life. All right, so let's start with the first one. We kind of talked about this already. Caloric restriction, intermittent fasting promotes healthy aging. I'm not surprised by this. I feel like, like I said, I've talked about it. We've talked about aging. We've talked about how do we optimize this time? How do we optimize intermittent fasting? And this makes a lot of sense. Again, remember to think about changing your fasting routine so it's reflective of you as a woman and not doing what all of the big male biohackers are doing because it's likely not a perfect fit for you. The other one I was a little surprised by. So we're talking about building social connections. And this is very interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I've been thinking about this a lot as I transition my life into a new phase, as we are potentially moving right now, which we're not going to get into. And I've been thinking a lot about friends. Where are my friends in real life? And I have friends in Ontario, and I have friends in BC, I have friends in the States. And when you work online, it's really hard because you don't have this place that you're going to work and you have these coworkers and you have this camaraderie and you're at the water fountain, that that type of thing. And I think it's interesting that when we talk about women's longevity, social connections come up because it's arguably why one of the reasons women live longer than men typically is because women typically have more friends than men. We typically are more likely to seek out doing things with friends than men, I would say. Like, let's go get coffee. Let's go for a walk. Let's go to the spin class together. Like those types of things. Like, let's see people. And I think that it makes sense that it contributes to longevity. Now, I think this is hard. I think in today's day and age, we are more online and connected through tech than we've ever been. And we are less connected in person than than we've ever been. And I would argue that the connections online likely do not contribute to longevity as much as the connections in person. So with that being said, what do we do about it? And it's hard because as you get older, it's harder and harder to make friends. When you're in university or in school, you're exposed to so many people your similar age who likely have similar interests. So these friend groups kind of happen automatically. You kind of make them right away. But how do we get back to doing that? And honestly, you just have to put yourself out there. And this has been a hard lesson for me to learn. I think what happened with myself personally was I went online in 2018. We moved to New Zealand for a year. We were working online. I was very lonely in New Zealand, even though I was probably the fittest I've ever been was actually in New Zealand. Anyway, I was very lonely because we didn't have any friends there. Then I came back to Canada, I came back to BC, and then in 2019, and then the pandemic hit in 2020. So during the, you know, those years of the pandemic, we didn't really see friends nearly as much or family nearly as much. Nobody really did, especially in Canada. And then after that, I continued to work online. And what I found was it was really hard for me to come out of the pandemic And be like, oh, what am I doing this weekend? Who am I seeing? Let me make plans. I was so used to working every single weekend, working online, watching TV, you know, spinning on my Peloton, going for walks by myself, doing all of these biohacking things alone, sitting in my one person sauna at home alone that 
there was no social connection there. And it was very hard for me to actually come out of that habit, those forced habits that happened. And even now, I still notice it. So I think the only way around this personally is through creating community in person is like by putting yourself out there. I don't think there's an easier way. I don't think there's a hack. I I know that there is community software like Mighty Networks, which I'm using. I know that we have WhatsApp for group chats and group chats are all the rage. I I get all of that and I think it plays an important part, but I still think we need the in-person aspect. And so my suggestion to you is likely you are somebody who is out of school. And so I would say find a common interest where you can meet people who are like you. For example, I worked at Lululemon for a while, met a couple of my best friends who are still my best friends today. But now it doesn't apply anymore because I work online and I don't have that type of atmosphere around me. Now I think, okay, let me go to a yoga class. Let me go to a hot yoga class. What are the types of people who are going to a hot yoga class? Let me go to the community sauna. Same thing. Community sauna can be a little iffy, not going to lie. There's a lot of old dudes in there. Anyway, but those those types of things. If you are a mom joining the mommy and me groups, that's huge. Especially if your kids are similar ages, the mommy and me fitness classes, the mommy and me walking groups, the ones that are made for the kids of like swimming lessons, library time, music class, whatever it is. Those are the places where you'll be able to find other people who are like you. So I really suggest, I really, really suggest doing something like that and putting yourself out there and for your longevity. And I actually think as I think about my goals for 2024, I actually think this will be one of them because (laughs) I'm such a biohacker. When we reframe things and someone says to me, hey, do this thing, it's actually healthy for you. Then I actually take it seriously. Versus, oh yeah, like you should probably get out more so you get more friends and you have more social connection in real life. But then if you say, hey, you should go hang out with people so that it can improve your longevity and you're healthier long-term and you have less stress and you have more community, it's going to make, yeah, it's great for your cellular health and your health span. Then I'm like, oh shit, okay, yeah, I'm actually going to do this. So this is my PSA to you. Go and do that for the sake of your health if you haven't already. Put yourself out there. Maybe make it your goal this year. Talk about it with your spouse, with your kids, with your current friends. Or maybe you have, you know, a good amount of friends. You just don't see them often enough. So maybe you need to put some effort in to see them and text them and make it a part of your life. There's actually this, I think I talked about this last year. There's this website. Oh, what's it called? It's called like call a friend, something like that. And anyway, it's essentially this website where you put in all your friends' names, all your contacts, and you set the cadence to when you want to be notified about reaching out to them. So I did this for a while and I had like, I put 10 people in there and I was like, okay, this person, we, I usually talk to her every two weeks, this person once a month, this person once every two months. And what they do is they, it's the software that just texts you and says, Hey, have you reached out to Samantha lately? And then you reply yes or no. And if you say yes, the notification goes away and it comes back at the next cadence point. If you say no, it will say, okay, I'll remind you again in a couple of days. And then it makes you, it sounds bad, but it's kind of like a friend manager, but it makes you aware of how much you're in contact with these people, how much you're seeing them so that you are actually putting in the effort and seeing them more often. So something like that, I think is really smart especially if you are a very busy person like a lot of us. Anyway, so those are my six questions I'm getting a lot these days. I hope they're helpful for you. I hope they provided insight and yeah, kind of like sparked a couple of thoughts or actions, you know? Actions become our words, words become our thoughts, and thoughts become our reality. So what you think actually matters. So thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you would like to leave a review, please do so. I read all of them and I take them very seriously because I'm a small business, small little woman-owned, woman-run business. And every little, you know, five-star really does make a difference. So thank you. And I will catch you next week for another episode. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Biohacking with Brittany. If you're interested in finding the show notes or the sponsors for this episode, you can do so on my website, which is biohackingbrittany.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram where I'm most active. My handle is at biohackingbrittany. And if you're interested in working together and you want to email me directly, you can do that. My email is info at biohackingbrittany.com. And I look forward to hearing from you and having you tune in next week.